Well, uh, last, last year I did get the opportunity to preach, um, but it was from Leviticus. I don't know who came up with that idea, but uh, all the next-gen guys, you know, we go through an epistle, preach through what Paul's saying, and then suddenly you get the new guys up here, let's do Leviticus. So maybe that's why it was so short. I don't know, ran out of things to say. But uh, yeah, still in the Old Testament. Uh, so we're in Genesis. Uh, last week we had Scott. And he preached on the who, the what, and the why of creation. Um, this morning we'll be in verses 3 through 5, Genesis 1, 3 through 5. So if you'll turn with me there, um, this is going to be the authority of Scripture this morning. Um, I'm actually going to start right at the beginning, um, verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 5. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So we say together, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let me start us with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for how you started scripture for us. Uh, You started with this uh, grand narrative uh, that begins with you. God, it begins with uh, your authority. It begins with your word. It begins with light. God, I pray this morning that you would... Fill me with your spirit, God, that uh, Redstone would not hear my words, but God, they would hear uh, your truth. I ask these things in your name. Amen. So all through the summer, uh, we're going through the story of creation and looking at how it displays God's glory through each day. Uh, Throughout our entire cosmos, we see uh, God's creation. We see his creativity we see his magnitude, we see his precision, and his wisdom. And they're constantly on display in everything we look at in creation. So I want us to take time, uh, because we're taking it a day at a time. Each week is a different day of creation. Um, I want to look at uh, the order in which God is created and how that also displays. Um, But also look at what he created and what that means for us, his created. Um, So if we look at day one, it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. So that's what he created. There's light on this first day. Uh, But you'll notice there's not any sun or moon or stars or anything like that that we know that gives light yet. Um, That doesn't even come until day four. Um, But this light that he creates, he calls day, and he separates it from the night. So before... There was darkness, there was void, there was nothing. And then God speaks, and there's light. So what does this mean for us? But before I get into any of that, I want to start with uh, Star Wars. Chris Gill uh, told me I had better include Star Wars in my sermon if I'm preaching on light and dark. Um, So that's where we're going to start. If you're not Spencer Teal, you've probably seen a movie or two. Um, And so... For those of you who have seen Star Wars, um, you know that there's adventure, there's weird aliens, there's 
cringy love stories, and then there's this thing called the force, right? There's two sides to the force. There's the light side, there's the dark side. Um, And it's pretty obvious when you're watching the movies, who is the good guys, who are the bad guys. I mean, there's the color of their lightsabers. It's a little nerdy, but like, you know, there's the Jedi, the Sith, there's, you know, good and bad. Even the the music that they use, uh, you know when you're looking at it, who's on the light side of the force and who's on the dark side of the force. This idea of light and dark is just ingrained in our culture. We see it in the stories we tell. Um, You know, there's this dualism of light and dark, good and evil, truth and lies, hope and despair, love and hate. All of these things are ingrained in our culture. Um, And it's this contrast of light and dark That is how God creates. That's how he begins his story. uh, By creating light, calling it day, and separating it from dark, which he calls night. There's also this nothingness that's before and the something that's after. God creates something out of nothing. And this something is light. God speaks with four simple words. Let there be light. It's actually just two words in the Hebrew. He speaks and there's light. So I want to think about this idea of light and what it does for us. If you think about lighthouses and headlights and cell phone flashlights, the stars, the moon, traffic lights, it's this existence of light and its distinction from darkness that gives us safety, gives us clarity, it gives us direction. It's this contrast of light that I want to highlight this morning as we look at God's creation and see how this contrast, this separation of light and dark shows God's power and glory on display, shows his perfect revelation that's given, and his path to salvation unveiled to us. Let me say those again. Those are my three points this morning. The creation of light and its separation from darkness shows us his power and his glory on display his perfect revelation given, and his path to salvation unveiled. So we begin with God's power and glory on display. As we observe God's power through his creation of light, we look at how he did it, and he speaks it, right? It's with his words. So let's just stop there and think for a minute. What does it mean to have this kind of power just with your words? Um, Right now, some of you know Silas, He just turned two. Um, As a parent, learning how to parent a two-year-old, I'm finding that my words don't have a lot of power. He seems to uh, hear my words and just reject them. But God is not like this. God's word has power. When he speaks, he can create something out of complete nothingness. He takes dark and he makes it light. I want you to think about this for a minute. I think growing up in church, I've always just accepted this idea. Yeah, yeah God, God speaks, something happens, there was nothing, there's something. Do you realize how crazy this, like how unbelievable that there's something created from nothing? Scientists have even come up with laws now, like the conservation of mass, the conservation of energy to explain away this idea of creation, uh, creating something out of nothing. Uh, people like, Homer and Aristotle and even Shakespeare had this phrase, said, nothing 
can come out of nothing. And that makes sense, right? Zero plus zero equals zero. Like you can't create something out of nothing. But God is so powerful that all he has to do is speak and we have something. We have light. We don't understand this, but we can glorify God because of it. His words are powerful enough to create something from nothing. It should astound us. It should bring us to our knees in worshiping our creator because of who he is. Not only is our God powerful enough to speak something out of nothing, but he creates light in this darkness. So I'm going to look at another perspective of creation. Um, In John 1, we get another account of creation. So uh, feel free to turn with me there. Uh, This is John 1, 1. In the beginning, sounds very similar, was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So we see this idea that God is in fact light come for us. He creates the light, and God is light. And there are a few examples of this throughout Scripture. Uh, Just in the Old Testament, we see God coming as a pillar of fire to lead the people out of Egypt. Um, And then again, we see God's glory reflected on the face of Moses when he comes down from from Mount Sinai after receiving the law. Um, His face just radiates from being in the presence of God. We also see God's command to have this lampstand in the tabernacle, symbolizing God's eternal presence with his people. In the New Testament, there's also examples of God being light for us. Think of the transfiguration when Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on the mountain and is transformed before them into this glorious light. There's the Damascus Road experience that Paul has in coming to faith. He's transformed. He's blinded, in fact, by this light of Christ shining down upon him. And of course, Jesus himself says, I am the light of the world. But it's not just light that we're looking at. It's also this darkness. says that Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's think about what that means. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a cave before, um, but if you climb down into a cave and you make your way down, then you get to a certain point where you can't quite see the light from the entrance, and it's completely dark. If you turn off your flashlight, and there's absolutely no light that can get all the way back down into you, uh, into, into the cave where you are, your mind tries to see the light. It like starts fooling your mind into thinking there's something there. Um, but as soon as you turn the flashlight back on, the darkness goes away. It doesn't matter how dark it is in that cave. As soon as you turn on the flashlight, it takes over the dark. Not only does God's light overcome and overwhelm the dark that's in our world, but he's in control of it. In fact, he owns it. We see in Genesis 1 that he names the dark. He calls it night. So this ownership, we think, well, what is God doing with the dark in our lives? What purpose could this dark possibly have for us? I think that it's because we have the dark that we can appreciate the light. 
I think we understand good because we know what's bad. We rejoice in what's right because we've seen or we know what is wrong. And we celebrate our perfect Savior's work on the cross because that we know deep down that we are the ones who deserve to face God's wrath and that Christ did that for us. Do you see the power of God's light in your life? Do you see the purpose for both light and dark in our world? Do you know God's ownership over both of those? Do you know that whatever you're facing, that God knows about it, and he's in control of it, and he's purposed it for his glory and for our good, even when it seems dark? Do you trust God in the dark times of your life? when you can't see what's ahead of you? This week, Andrew Becker, uh, I met with him, and he reminded me of the honesty of the writers of the Psalms, especially King David. We think about King David's life and all of the dark moments he experienced. Um, He's so honest with God in how he writes the Psalms. Uh, I want to look at Psalm 139. Psalm 139, I'm going to start in verse 11. Uh, It says, If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. This whole psalm is about being known by God, this intimate relationship, not being able to find anywhere in the world where you're not going to be Uh, in God's presence, that God knows where we're at. And so when it says, surely the darkness shall cover me, don't we say that about our own lives? Like, man, things are not going well for me. Man, this is a dark season of my life. It says that even that darkness is not dark to God. It says even when our light seems dark, it's not dark to God. But in fact, the darkness is like light to our Father. When your way is dark, I encourage you to seek comfort in the power of God's voice, speaking light into the darkness you face. The next thing I want us to see from God's creation of light is how it illustrates his perfect revelation. Last week, I loved what Scott said about creation being this object lesson for us that God has. So I want to look at how God's creation of light illustrates for us his perfect revelation. As he gives us his light through his word, it's this visual representation uh, of his word, his, his scripture, the Bible, and how this gives us light and exposes us to the right way. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And in another spot in Psalm 119, it says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Just like light, the Bible brings safety, it brings clarity, and it brings direction. But it doesn't always feel this way to us. Our lives don't always feel safe or clear or like they have good, clear direction. Because when we read God's word, it also exposes who we really are. It shines light on our fallen nature. It exposes our sin. So we naturally try to avoid this light. We do one of two things. When we don't want our sin exposed, 
we either try to stay in the dark and keep our, our sins that we're ashamed of, keep them deep down, keep them hidden, or we look for counterfeit lights that just simply make us feel good, that pacify us. We look for things that redefine morals or tell us that we're doing fine, that I'm a good person, or at least I'm not as bad as they are, right? But God's word shines a light on our fallen reality. Even think about uh, Jesus preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, how he takes God's word, his law, and he clarifies it, and, and it makes it more strict, right? He says things like, if you look at somebody who's not your husband or your wife, then that's adultery. If you uh, insult somebody, uh, then that's considered murder. So what the Bible does is it exposes who we really are um, and confronts us with our sin. It shows us our, the true reality of our need. So when we look somewhere else for this light, somewhere else that would make us feel good, we're not actually seeing who we really are or not acknowledging that we truly need God in our lives. To illustrate this, um, I want to think about the difference in natural and artificial light. So if you think about natural light, right, it comes from the sun and it has a full spectrum of color. Depending on uh, the position of the earth to the sun, there's different colors throughout the day. As the sun sets, it changes colors for us. And this does things, physical things, emotional things for our bodies. One of the things it does uh, is it, it gives us natural cycles that tells us when we're supposed to wake up or when we're supposed to go to sleep. All these things are done by the natural light of the sun. Artificial light is not like this. Artificial light has set spectrum of colors. So an LED has a different spectrum than maybe fluorescent does, than maybe incandescent does. They all have a set spectrum. We all know about the blue light that comes from our screens, right? That's bad. Everybody knows that's bad. You've got to limit that screen time. Even plants need full spectrum of color to grow and survive, to thrive. So in a similar way, if we don't allow the full spectrum of color, the full spectrum of light from God's word, to shine on our lives if we try to replace it with something artificial, something fake then we can expect to have a lack of spiritual health we can expect to not grow like we should um, there's, there's a few things that I think uh, we tend towards to be artificial lights in our lives I think of uh, these made up truths we tell ourselves or even good things like eating healthy and exercising or having the right job or having the right relationships. If we just had that job or just made that amount of money, then we would be satisfied. But it's only God's perfect revelation through his word that can satisfy us and bring light to our true purpose, to our true created purpose uh, as God's creation. So I ask you this morning, are you pursuing these false lights? What are you looking to, uh, looking to to illuminate the dark in your life that is not our Savior? Are you hiding in the dark? Are you trying to suppress some sh sin or shame in your life? Find accountability. Get that sin out in the light. Then we are able to grow in Christ. Remember that it's, it's Christ's blood 
that covers us and his grace is sufficient. Don't keep these things in the dark. I'm going to read from Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. This is talking about walking as children of the light. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So I invite you this morning to allow Christ to shine his light on you and to be transformed by that light. Which brings me to my last point this morning, that the creation of light in Genesis illustrates for us God's path for salvation. Now, when I was writing uh, my sermon and I gave my manuscript to Spencer, uh, he looked at it, made some notes, and uh, said, I had too many cross-references in my last point. Uh, I had like eight or something. Uh, Too many. I was just bouncing all over. But I was just so excited because there were so many references in the Bible about how God brings the light of his salvation to his people. I found examples in Exodus, Leviticus, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Micah, Habakkuk, Zechariah, just in the Old Testament. All these examples of how God uses light as an example of bringing his Messiah to his people. The whole law, prophets, and the Psalms all testified about how God would bring hope and salvation through the Messiah. The reality is that without God, we're in the dark. We're lost. We're blind. But God had a plan from the very beginning in the creation of light to show us salvation through his son. I'm going to look at uh, John 8 and 9 this morning uh, to illustrate this. Jesus is talking to two different groups of people. The first one is uh, the Pharisees. You may be familiar with them. Uh, They were kind of the reformers of their day. They were the ones with the ESV study Bibles. They went to uh, all the Bible studies, you know, the prayer meetings. They had it all together. They had it perfect. They took God's law from the Old Testament and they tried to follow it exactly. In fact, they even added to it to be more strict about it. So that's the first group of people that Jesus talks to. The second one is this man who was born blind. Now, Back then, when you were born blind or born with some handicap, people assumed that your parents were sinners or that you were probably a sinner. We know, of course, that both of these groups were in fact sinners. They were both lost and without God. Jesus says the same thing to the Pharisees as he does to this man who was born blind. He says, I am the light of the world, Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we see these two two groups of people coming from opposite ends. One is righteous or self-righteous, and the other is very humble, knowing his sin, 
knowing that he's blind, he's helpless, having to rely on everyone else, produces two responses to the gospel. As Jesus presents himself as the light of the world, the salvation come for these people, the man who is born blind is healed by Christ. He believes and he worships. But the Pharisees remain blind. Jesus uses this example of this blind man for these Pharisees and says, actually, it's you who think you have it all together. You're the one who's blind. You're still in darkness. When Jesus presents this idea of him being the light of the world, they just say, well, prove it. And the rest of chapter 8, John 8, Jesus goes through and talks about who he is, says, I was before Abraham. I am the great I am. And by the end of it, the Pharisees, they don't accept it. They, in fact, try to stone Jesus. Very different from this man who was born blind, knowing his sin. It doesn't take much explanation. He just simply accepts it. He believes and he worships. So this morning, as we look at Christ, the culmination of Scripture, uh, this culmination of all the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, that are testifying about Jesus being this Messiah, this light. I want you to respond, not as the Pharisees, but as this man who is born blind, knowing our sin, knowing our fallen reality, and come to Christ, believing and worshiping who he is. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians. This is chapter 4. It says, And even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? This is a direct quote from Genesis 1. Paul says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So this morning... Uh, I invite you to let God's Spirit do its work in you, uh, to open your eyes, uh, to let God remove the scales of blindness, and to come to our Creator uh, in worship, in humble adoration before Him, and know His salvation. Those of us who are in Christ, who know this salvation, now have a responsibility to reflect this light. Um, I talked a little bit about Moses and his experience uh, in, on uh, Mount Sinai. And this is in Exodus 34. Moses goes up on the mountain. Uh, they've just come out of Egypt from slavery. And God calls him up onto Mount Sinai to receive the law. Uh, and as he goes up to meet with God, he spends time listening to God's voice. It says he talks to him like a friend. And as he spends time with the Father... Um, when he comes back down the mountain, something has changed about his whole complexion. It says his skin was radiating this light just from spending time 
with God. And so the people didn't know what to do with it. They were scared of it. And so they told him to wear this veil. Um, But as Paul talks about this, he says that we now can approach the throne of God with unveiled faces. We now get to be in God's throne room, get to uh, enjoy intimacy with our Father, spending time with him, listening to his voice, experiencing his genuine presence in our lives in order that we can reflect that to others. We're not supposed to keep this veil. We're not supposed to hide this light. Jesus even says, don't hide this light. He says, you are the light of the world. It's our new identity to walk as children of light, to reflect this light to others, to be transformed by the light, but then to share it with others. I'll conclude with this. From the very first few verses in the Bible, our triune God, our creator, was shining his light of redemption upon his creation. We see the Father's plan from before creation. We see Christ working out this plan, coming to earth, being our salvation. And we see the Spirit's power working to remove the veil on our hearts to accept what our God has done for us. At the end of day one, We have light, but we still don't have the sun, moon, and stars. So we might be thinking, well, where is this light coming from? It's a little weird. But this, in fact, points to the new creation that God is bringing. We read about in Isaiah 60 and Revelation 21 that in the new creation, God will be our light. This is Isaiah 60, verses 19 through 20. It says, the sun shall be... No more your light by day. Nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Can you imagine this? In the new creation, in the new Jerusalem, we don't have need for the sun the most powerful source of light and warmth, things that we feel like we need, we don't need anymore. God our Father will be so present with us. His light will be so perfectly shining on us that it illuminates everything around us. From creation all the way into new creation, into eternity, our creator, our God, is our light and he is our salvation. Do you know this light this morning? Have you experienced the light of Christ in your life? Pray that the Spirit would remove this veil from your heart if you don't know this. That he would remove the blindness. And if you do know Christ this morning, are you walking as a child of that light? Are you shining it for others? It's not a light that we have to generate on our own. We don't have to produce this light. We simply reflect it. We spend time with our God. We know him. We read about him. We pray to him. And then we get to share that. We get to radiate his glory to those around us. I pray that you would spend time with the Father like Moses did in order to share with those around his light. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your creation. God, how each day you created something new for us to experience who you are And God, we love the light that you've created for us in Christ. 
God, would you continue to draw us to that light? Would you continue to expose our sin in this light? Would we be children of the light? And would we reflect your light to those around us? It's in your name I pray. Amen.